Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gill here with Mike Renner reviewing Week 9. Also going to discuss the Aaron Rodgers-Pat McAfee interview. The Arizona Cardinals. Are the Arizona Cardinals the best team in the NFL? That's the consensus right now. Are the Titans the best team in the AFC? And is Baker Mayfield back? Let's get it. What a wild week in football. I mean, it was, I mean, every single day there was something new popping. I mean, the pole assassin didn't even make the back page by the end of the week. I know. Like, that, the week started off so hot with the pole assassin story. The monkey obviously uh, biting a child. And then it only escalated from there. So that was quite the week of football. And then it also translated to the football field where we just had games come out of absolutely nowhere. To, in college and the NFL. Yes, to make no sense. So this is why it's the best, man. This UNC beats undefeated Wake Forest. Purdue wins big in Michigan West Lafayette State. against Michigan State. I mean, it was a wild weekend in football. Also, Jahan Dotson went off, broke the Penn State single-game record in receiving mm-hmm. yards, and he's on today's pod. Hey. He is on today's pod. He is. Uh, we recorded the interview Friday. Obviously, that interview spiked or was a catalyst for his performance. I would like to think so. I would like to think so as well. Before we get into reviewing these games here, what is your take on this Aaron Rodgers interview? I think it has divided a lot of people. It's been a polarizing conversation. My favorite of it was when he brought up Joe Rogan and then Pat McAfee had to hide his laugh. Did yeah. you see that clip? That was now sensational. Because Aaron Rodgers brought up Joe Rogan like in like wholeheartedly that he listens to Joe Rogan's podcast and then takes you know advice medical advice from Joe Rogan and Pat McAfee has to hide back laughter I think a lot of the United States has to hide back laughter on that but your your takeaway on that whole thing my takeaway is I truly I really don't care like I I do not have a take on this but the irony of it all is that he is completely healthy and is probably at less of a risk to society as a whole with the NFL's given protocols in terms of like he's getting tested every single day. So as soon as he does get COVID, he knows about it. And so under the NFL's protocols, like he is less of a threat than guys who are on his own team who may be vaccinated but then can still spread it because they're not getting tested every two weeks. And there's been pushback in the NFL about how infrequently the guys who are vaccinated are getting tested because they can still spread it. Uh, I just thought it was kind of hilarious that He's really probably not spread it to anyone, and there's this whole uproar o- over it uh, when it's really just not that big of a deal. I, I, am I the only one who didn't realize there was going to be uproar? There's some people saying, you know, the media is more upset at Rogers than Rugs and the travesty tragedy that was. And Rugs obviously going to go to jail for forty plus years, oh. never playing the NFL again, getting his well deserved sentencing there. There was no uproar for me. It, it was hilarious. Aaron Rodgers yeah. Aaron Rodgers' interview was hilarious. I don't know it was just great content. Yeah. I mean he misquoted Martin Luther King. That if we're not laughing at that, what are we doing? I don't understand why anyone sees any perceived uproar or rage at Aaron Rodgers. I am I, I I would take it a step you you said you don't care. Like 
I care because it made my Friday. It was a phenomenal Friday in terms of content. You know, admitting to taking I'm revected and then saying Joe Rogan gets health advice and then the misquoting. He was looking off camera, reading a computer, misquoting Martin Luther King. If you can't, if you can't laugh at that, I don't know what we're doing here. The seriousness with which he took it was actually hilarious. That, exactly. Like, uh, the fact he said he had like hundreds of pages of research printed out was. Uh, that took it a little bit over the edge. And then you factor that in with like you have the reports that his fiance Shailen Woodley eats clay like that. There's a lot of banter to be had here. No one, in my opinion, should be upset at the decision Aaron Rodgers made. You can be upset that he lied to media or was like dubious with the Misled. immunized, whatever. Yeah. Like I, we, he'll get what he gets for that. But like, if you have any other reaction outside of this is hilarious, I don't know what to do with you, man. Because this was just absurd. I mean, he made uh, it, it, the seriousness, all that stuff. I think was funny. I don't think I'm mad at Aaron Rodgers at all. I don't think anyone should be. Obviously, he makes his own decisions. The lying, I think, is the only thing where you could be kind of like, okay, that was kind of screwed up. But uh, I think he's going to get, you know, he's going to miss football for ten days and all that stuff. So I'm not. I don't know why there was a quote unquote uproar or rage from national media. I thought that was just uh, great content. Um, Damon Arnett also creating some content. Yeah, it's a content. good week to send someone a video of him pulling out multiple guns saying that he was going to kill them. So, yeah, I think there was someone on IG DMing him yeah. something that he was going to fight him in Vegas. And then he was taking a TikTok of showing these different guns that look like they're in Call of Duty Vanguard saying he was going to come actually kill him. Yeah. I don't. I have a couple things here. I have a couple <laughs> things here. I, I I don't understand why you'd ever post that to social media, knowing that there. I don't know what positives come from that. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, that was an inebriated decision because there's. If that was a sober decision, we have we have more problems here. The other thing I have here is why does he have all those guns? Why 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 does why does anyone have those guns? I don't. I, I'm not trying to get on Second Amendment shit here, but like, why do you have those guns? And then you you go back to. You know, I rugs. I, you know I have no reason why I do not own guns. Like that, I have no he had like a rocket launcher or yeah. something. <laughs> the, the Henry Ruggs thing, too, there was a loaded gun in the vehicle. I don't understand why there's loaded guns in these situations. Why, why do we have these loaded guns? I don't know. But that Damon Arnett video, he didn't play, obviously, this past weekend. I don't know when he's going to play the Raiders again. But, you know, insult to injury here. Raiders also lose that game in the Meadowlands, favored by three. It, it's been – I mean, the news cycle for the Raiders has been awful. You're talking about Aaron Rodgers and the McAfee stuff. The, the Raiders have gone through a lot in that locker room. And Yeah, how about Arnett? that 20-20 draft now for them with Henry Ruggs, Damon Arnett? A, a year after, they literally went – overboard in drafting or targeting high character guys supposedly with their first round or with their draft in 2019 and Mike Mayock's first and then 2020 looks like they have Henry Ruggs obviously off the team now and Damon Arnett uh very well could be here on his way out yeah I mean this was this was absurd but um anyway that what an interesting catch a buzz catch an early buzz let's get into Jets Colts Jets Colts the Thursday night game Colts in a blowout here. We almost had a sneaky, sneaky from the dead backdoor cover from the New York Jets. It was late. But Mike White gets hurt early in this oh, game. Brutal. They definitely cover if Mike White plays. Mike White in his second drive, I think, of that game, they score a touchdown. Then it, it was awful after that. Once Mike White left and you got to see Josh Johnson on his 19th team mm-hmm. in 10 years, it was even John Johnson played well. But I think Mike White at least covers that one. Jets lose 30-45. And what was a blowout start to finish? I think the most impressive player in this one, Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor, over the past two years, is up there with Nick Chubb in force missed tackles, up there with Nick Chubb in yards after contact, and also total rushing yards. He, far and away, the most productive back from that draft class as well. Yeah, but I, I yes, Jonathan Taylor is probably the biggest storyline, but it's kind of this ancillary effect of 
this offense line is back and healthy. And now Braden Smith did actually get banged up in this game on Thursday night, did have to leave. No word yet on exactly how long he will be out. But Eric Fisher, here's his game-by-game passing grade since returning back this season. 59.4, 54.3, 30.8, 65.6, 61.6, last three games, 75.0, 84.3, and then a 90.0 in this one. He looks back. He looks like the guy he was last year from coming back off that Achilles injury. Braden Smith, if he is healthy on the right side, this is the top three offensive line in football. They are back to where they once were, whereas that was not the case early in the season. We were talking about the early season struggles, Carson Wentz, whatnot. That was not the case for a long time there for the first, like I said, handful of games. They are back. They are dominating in the trenches now, and the AFC is wide open as can be right now. I think the Colts are hitting their stride. Hopefully, you know, knock on wood, Braden Smith uh, isn't anything serious. Man, I think the Colts definitely put some doubters to bed in that game, too. Like, I mean, obviously they were expected to beat the Jets, Jets. but, like, they put on a show. I think what was the stat that they gained, like, 498 of, like, the 400 or 500 yards available to them? Like, they could not miss in this game. They were on an absolute tear. And I think I'm glad you speak to, you know, (laughs) the the AFC being wide open. You look at the AFC right now, uh, DraftKings Sportsbook odds to win. Bills at plus 250, then the Titans at plus 450, Ravens at plus 550, Chiefs at plus 650, Chargers in the mix, Browns in the mix. This is going to be down to the wire in the AFC. I'm really interested to see who ends up coming out on top because there are a lot of teams obviously in the mix. Any takeaways from Josh Johnson slash Mike White so far on a I like small White. I mean, White looks fine. Uh, Josh Johnson, obviously, one of the all-time journeymen at the position. But White looked solid, obviously, even still in this game before he got hurt. Hopefully... Again, that's serious. So, like that, he. I, I'm not saying I'm starting him when Zach Wilson comes back, but this guy could actually be a starter for teams in the NFL. But there are some people talking about you know, Josh Johnson in this game is 75.3 PFF grade, top 10 on the week. Mike White looked good before getting hurt, and then you put the sample size together between the combination of Mike White and Josh Johnson, aka not Zach Wilson in a New York Jets uniform. It and has looked better. Like dog shit, yeah. It has exactly. looked better. What do you think that is? I think you said last week that it's well, just Zach keeping time. things on schedule yeah. and, and getting the ball out quickly and that stuff. Zach Wilson, on the other hand, I think has the most out-of-structure dropbacks, at least from a percentage standpoint, bailing out of clean pockets, trying to be a superhero. Does he just need to calm down? Is it a nerves thing, or where's your head at? I'm not exactly sure. I obviously don't know, not inside Zach Wilson's mind, to say that. Yet. You think I'm going to be at some point? I don't point? know. I don't know. Uh, I'm obviously not... <laughs> inside his mind to say that but it is he has to play the game differently than he did at BYU that was always going to be the case you know the way he played in that offense was not very translatable it was the high-end throws the high-end plays that he made that you were banking on being that just like other guys are incapable of and then the other stuff had to get up to speed um, and so he still was not there before obviously going down still was not taking the easy ones so to speak um and hopefully, having seen this offense get run, cor- you know, correctly, you know, quote unquote, by Mike White when he was in, or at least a little faster, I think hopefully that'll start to start to like get the wheels turning in Zach Wilson's head of how to play to avoid hits to keep the offense on schedule, like you said. This line closed at Colts favored by ten. They obviously covered that, winning forty five thirty. Let's get to the Sunday slate starting with Vikings-Ravens. This is a barn burner. One of the best games of the 1 p.m. slate. Vikings lose narrowly 
on the road, 31-34 in OT. It was an impressive, an impressive game for the Baltimore Ravens. I think it started off scary or terrible. Lamar Jackson, I think he had a dropped pick in the first quarter and then an actual pick in the second quarter, but then started to bounce back. 120 rushing yards in this one. Over the past three seasons, the eight highest single-game rushing yards totals are all owned by Lamar Jackson. All owned by Lamar Jackson. He has been, obviously, a difference maker there on the ground. Wait. The past three, three years, seasons, yeah. He in the entire NFL, or what are we talking about? By yeah, quarterback entire position? NFL by quarterbacks. Well, by quarterbacks, yeah, okay. obviously. Well, you just said. I mean, there's like he is one of one. There mm-hmm. is not another Lamar Jackson. It's even going back to like a Michael Vick was not Lamar Jackson in terms of how he plays the quarterback position. The guy is different and a very high floor that he brings to the table when he is right. I mean, going over a hundred yards, scrambling when nothing is there something's still there and you can't just like again there's certain defenses or certain things you just can't do and you can't drop your entire underneath zone 10 yards off the ball or else you're giving Lamar Jackson 10 yards you just that is who he is and that was the second half of this football game when they came back and the Vikings man they 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 of all teams in the NFL right now have to just be kicking themselves because there's no real I mean, if the playoffs were to end right now, or excuse me, if the season were to end right now, the Falcons would be in the playoffs at four and four. The Vikings could very easily be six and two, five and three, with very little change so far this season. But they are three and five. They are you know four and a half back in this division. Like they are, for all intents and purposes, out of it in the NFC North. When this is still like one of the high, they have a top five graded quarterback in the NFL and Kirk Cousins right now. Like they should not be as bad as they have been. They should not be as bad as the record are, but they keep throwing games away. Easy ones. This one was maybe one of the ugliest ones yet. I, what do the Vikings do? What do the, I mean, they're so close. You're right. I think yeah. they could be six and two on the season. They do. Kirk Cousins has played well for a bulk majority of this season. I don't know how they turn the corner here because they're in such a middle part of a, competing team I, I i don't you can't make wholesale changes but do you need to is it a coaching staff what do you think has to happen i i'm still of the opinion that mike zimmer's a good head coach now is he possibly a little dated in his approach uh offensively and like how they their commitment to the run and whatnot yes I mean, like they do not open it up the way you would expect a team with the top again top five graded passer in the nfl and the wide receivers that they have but I don't know. I don't don't know if there's any fixing it. Uh, Some of that is also falls to Kirk Cousins, who is the classic, like, take five yards on third and ten sort of quarterback. So there's a lot of of parts here that I I think they're just a flawed team. And I I don't know if there's – we've been saying they're kind of in this purgatory where it's this good roster, but they're kind of capped by all the contracts that they've handed out to that roster uh, to sort of build around. Have you been at all impressed or surprised by Marquise Brown's season so far this year? Among receivers in that 2019 draft class where he was like far and away like outcasted. DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, A.J. Brown, Deontay Johnson, Debo Samuel. I was like, hey, those are the better guys. So far this year, only Debo Samuel has more receiving yards from that group. 682 receiving yards this season for Marquise Brown. I thought he has had, he has improved a lot. I think you look at this game specifically, he's working back to the ball better. He's catching the ball better than earlier in the season. Only two drops on the season so far this this year. That has been super impressive for Marquise Brown. Yeah, I mean, I I think he's always, I don't want to say he's always been open, but I, I think he's like always been talented. I, I, I didn't think it was necessarily a huge 
like, oh, Marquise Brown needed to develop. It was kind of just like they needed to get on the same page, him and Lamar Jackson. And they needed other guys to step up around him. And now with Rashad Bateman back, I, I think there's other guys to take that pressure off him. Pats, Panthers, Patriots blow out the Carolina Panthers. Patriots win 24-6. I think this line was Patriots slightly favored. I'm trying to find this line. Patriots favored by three and a half in this one on the road. They win 24-6. This was a blowout from start to finish, and Sam Darnold looked awful. Looked absolutely awful. I think. Do, are, are we ready to say the jury's out on Sam Darnold? And can we bring? Ga- I want Adam Gase back in the league. Are we ready to bring Adam Gase back in the league? <laughs> that was that was rock bottom. I mean, that was as bad as it gets. Three picks. No big-time throws. Literally nothing to write home about. 37 dropbacks. Only gets 172 passing yards on the day. Has Robbie Anderson ready to murder him on the sidelines? I love that. I love the fire. And, I mean, for the second straight week, lays out one of his receivers. Crossing route to G.J. Moore, lays him, puts him right in harm's way to get rocked. I'd be pissed, too. I mean, that, that you, are, you have a, an offense and a receiving core that both Robbie Anderson put up and DJ Moore put up numbers last year. Like get the offense as much as you want shit on Teddy Bridgewater for maybe not being able to make those fourth quarter comebacks. He at least took what was there when it was there. Sam Darnold's not even doing that. And I get that they have had injuries on the offensive line. Matt Harris gets hurt in this one, likely out for the season. Cam Irving goes down in this one. Like they, they, they couldn't afford those type of injuries. But there's still no excuse to then be getting your receivers hurt as well uh, I do think that this was the trade they made is going to go down as an all-time bad trade because 18.8 million dollars they are stuck with on their cap next year they picked up a fifth year option it is fully guaranteed nowadays that is no more oh injury guaranteed it is no he is getting 18.8 million dollars to be on the roster next year and they gave up the draft capital to do it they do have two the draft capital and that cap capital to have one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL right now it's bad. I mean, he ranks bottom three in PFF grade so far this year. I'm ready to say, even with the fact that they picked up the fifth-year option, they need to be looking at upgrade. They can't go into next year with Sam Darnold. I mean, just Sam Darnold, just to see if it clicks then, right? I mean, there's a chance that Joe Brady leaves this offseason. And you got Sam Darnold going with the new offensive coordinator. I mean, they, if I'm Joe Brady, I, I want to get the fuck out Yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> you know? I mean, if I'm Robbie Anderson, I want to get out of there. If yeah. I'm DJ Moore, I want to get out of there. This is not a good quarterback situation. And we said that going in. They traded a second-round pick for Sam Darnold and then committed the fifth-year option. This is awful. Passing on Justin Fields. Passing on Mac Jones. This is not the situation you want to be in for yeah. Carolina if you're Matt Rule, if you're Joe Brady. But here's what you can't do. Don't double down on that mistake. Yeah. You can't double down and say, no, what? we already committed the 18 mil. We're going into the next season with Sam Darnold. We're going to give him another shot. Because yeah. you're going to lose the locker room. You're going to lose coaches. You're going to lose a lot of people. Because you can't just commit to a guy who obviously is not panning out. And mm-hmm. in what, his fourth, fifth season in the NFL? I don't think yeah. you can do it. And the worst part is, this defense is playing like one of the best defenses in the NFL exactly. with minimal cap, sort of with minimal big contracts allocated to it now they've they've invested a lot of draft capital whether it's Derek brown brian burns uh gosh uh, blanking on the first round cornerback that they just drafted this year jc horn whether it's all those guys they've yes invested a lot of draft picks in but those guys have played like those guys are making impacts and they don't have a lot of money allocated to this defense so from that perspective you this is when they could have that strike while the iron's hot with a you know a highly paid quarterback and by investing money into their offense but it's not happening because they went and got, shit, the wrong quarterback. This is rough, man. Rough in Carolina. I think we all talked about, I think Denver 
and Carolina were the two teams where they were in that position to bring in a quarterback, to bring in Justin Fields yeah. or Mac Jones, opting not to. I think both those teams regretting it at that point, but probably the Panthers the most <laughs> with Sam Donald losing twenty four six at home. Uh, Browns, Bengals, Browns. Well, we got to wait. We got to bring up. Oh, of course, the Mac Jones stuff. Mac Jones. Jones. Mac Jones, I think you put in your notes here, it's definitely what it is, a gator roll on Brian Burns. Look up Mac Jones on Twitter right now if you have not seen this awful play. I remember in high school, we were doing Oklahoma drills, and this senior called me out when I was a sophomore on varsity, and he said, I want Gale or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I I was breaking the tackle to get in the end zone or whatever, and he alligator rolled me and got suspended for the rest of practice. They said, you're off. You're done. This is to to a sophomore. You don't do this. You can you can tear ACLs. You can you can you can uh, sprain ankles. This was rough to see, and you can argue that Mac Jones was just trying to keep him from picking up the ball or whatever. You don't do it that way. Yeah. You don't do it that way. You don't twist the ankle. That was awful to see from Mac Jones. Everyone who has played sports at like any sort of level knows exactly has has seen this. Not not this actual play, but like the play where you just fucked up. Mac Jones just fumbled. He got sacked, fumbled. He just fucked up. New that that play did not go his way and then takes that cheap shot to sort of enact his whatever revenge in the moment where maybe you're not even thinking about it, but where it is something that is, like I said, a cheap shot. That is as bad as an Indomitian Sioux stomp. It is honestly more like Brian Burns' ankle was actually injured on that play. It had to leave the game because of that. Uh, that, to me, if at least findable, if not suspendable, because that's there's literally an extracurricular, no place for that in the game of football. It's already dangerous enough without intentionally injuring someone after a play. Could agree more. Browns, Bengals, Browns, oh my gosh. Bengals were favored by one and a half in this game at home in Queen City. Walking around Cincinnati, I couldn't find a Bengals fan. Browns traveled well. There were a lot of Browns fans at um, Paul Brown Stadium, and the Browns showed up. Browns win 41-16. As one-and-a-half-point dogs on the road, technically, even though a lot of Browns fans in that stadium. Baker Mayfield looked phenomenal. Highest-graded quarterback in Week 9 for PFF. Um, two, He had four big-time throws, two of which going to DPJ, not OBJ. One to Njoku and one to Harrison Bryant on the sideline. No turnover-worthy plays. Baker Mayfield looking phenomenal. This was the highest single-game grade since when? The wild-card game against the Steelers, where they also didn't have Odell Beckham Jr. Uh-oh. I'm starting to buy in, Mike. I'm starting to buy in. Do you... Recall what I said on last week's episode. What'd you say? When you asked who's, I think, the best team in the AFC is. You said the Browns. And who looked like the best team in the AFC this weekend? The Browns. They, at full strength, when you have this secondary healthy, when it's Greg Newsom, Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams, and Corinne Troy Hill, when you have your full complement of the defensive line with Jadavion Clowney, Miles Garrett, when that is all together, that is, for my money, the best defense. And Jeremiah Wuskarmo is still not even back. They... Obviously, flustered the Bengals, had the pick six early on, Denzel Ward, uh, a ton of pressure down the stretch in the second half when they knew they were going to pass. And then offensively, if you just don't have Odell Beckham there and Baker Mayfield is playing like that, his highest graded game of the season by far, not a coincidence, as I've said on the show a bunch of times now. They are a tough team to beat. They're just a tough team to beat because that offensive line is very nasty. And again, it just comes down to Baker playing efficient football is all they need for them to win. Yeah, Wyatt Teller is awesome. He's going to get paid a ton of money. I think he's the number yeah. two graded car guard in the NFL. Donovan Peoples-Jones looked good in this one. 
Njoku looked good. I don't think the loss of Odell Beckham Jr. is going to negatively affect this group all too much. I do think that when they can run the football as effectively as they did and their defense runs pick sixes back like they did, you're going to win a lot of games. And I thought what was interesting, this one, six contested targets for Jamar Chase, zero catches. This was tough, tough game for Jamar Chase. He also had that drop on a really nice throw from Joe Burrow. It could have been a little bit closer, but still should have been a, a, a catchable ball at the least. Your thoughts on the Bengals' offense? Yeah, I didn't think Joe Burrow played terribly. The pick six was awful. That one or the on the goal line never should have been thrown. Um, but I, I thought the rest of the game, he gave his guys chances. They went 2 of 11 in contested situations on the game. You obviously said Jamar Chase went 0 for 6. It wasn't just him, though. T. Higgins had a couple opportunities that shit T. Higgins should, if for who he is, you know, the type of receiver he is, should be bringing in that. Again, I didn't think Burrow played disastrously, but Browns are just a tough, they're just a tough defense. You got to play, like I said, when they're at full strength, you got to play a uh, pretty complete game to beat them. Broncos at Cowboys. This was probably the weirdest game of Sunday. This oh, yeah. was absurd. Broncos technically win 30-16, but this was a blowout. They were up 30-0. Yeah. It was an absolute blowout. Dak looked rusty, awful. <laughs> We're like, he did not play well in this game. I don't think anyone in Dallas Cowboys uniform played all that well in this game. It was a full-on route on the road for Vic Fangio's Broncos. Teddy Bridgewater looked good. They had Jerry Judy back. I thought how they leveraged Jerry Judy was awesome. Didn't ask him to run a ton of just like pure outside receiver routes. They motioned him a ton and got him the football yeah. after the catches where Jerry Judy can have success too. This was like a clinic. This was Fangio coaching up a clinic and really just taking down McCarthy, Dak Prescott, the Dallas Cowboys. This was a bad beat for the Dallas Cowboys. They need Tyron Smith back. Or need to shuffle this offensive line or something because Terrence Steele gave up nine pressures, and Denver is not throwing out. Von Miller's not even there. Like, <laughs> they're not throwing out a talented edge rushing group, whether it's Jonathan Cooper or whoever is going up against was going up against Terrence Steele in this game. He should not have been handled the way that he did. And now again, you're asking him to flip from right side to left side. He's a young player, only getting a hang of right tackle this season. Was a UDFA last year. Like you're asking a, a shit ton of him to be able to do that, but it was a massive issue for them in this game. And Vic Fangio's kind of had Mike McCarthy's number over the years at times. If you go back to when he was at San Francisco and a couple of playoff games that went against each other a few years with the Bears, uh, there's something there. Something there. Something there. There is something there. What, what do you think? The Broncos are another interesting team to discuss because you don't see them, I don't think anyone sees them as a deep postseason contender. Could they sneak in oh, as yeah. a seventh seed? Sure, but like, what do they do? Do they continue to die, you know put resources into Teddy Bridgewater and move him forward? I don't because they're you a know, team. No, I mean you know, you know, like this is this is what they signed up for when they got Teddy Bridgewater to go nine and eight. 10 and 7. And do what, though? I, I, that's what I'm they saying. They signed up we, for we that, but why? <laughs> we know. Like, we've, this is what we've kept saying. Like, this is the situation you put yourself in when you signed him. And yeah, he's going to be far more consistent. You're probably going to win more games than Drew Locke. That's why he's a starter. But you did that, so Vic Fangio could probably keep his job is what it is. And then bring in Aaron Rodgers in the offseason? Hopefully. I think Aaron Rodgers to I mean, it's going to be similar Broncos? to like what we saw with the Panthers last year, where it's like, hey... You did all right. You were fine. But we want to chase something higher. Now, obviously, the Panthers, that backfired quickly on them. I would chase something a little higher than also Sam Darnold if I were the Broncos, if I'm going to upgrade over Teddy. I think if the if the Broncos get Aaron Rodgers after all of this, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens. If they can bring in Aaron Rodgers and have the team that they have, they're obviously going to be contenders next year. So 
hopefully they're already putting in the works that Bills, Jags, another weird game. Bills are favored, by, I think, by 14 and a half in this one. Jags win at home 9-6. to six. And I'll say it. I'll say it. I hated the Josh Allen, Josh Allen jokes on Twitter. I know you did. You were literally lamenting them all day long. I will say this. Can I say this? At, yeah. When Josh Allen got the pick and recovered the fumble, that was the only time where I felt like even mentioning that they had the same name would have been like somewhat notable. I read from verified accounts after they got that first sack, Josh Allen sacked Josh Allen first time, there was 14 people who just said Josh Allen sacked Josh Allen. I made a joke just because I knew it would piss you off, actually. How many likes did your joke get? I don't know, like 100 something. So here's, here's the take. The, the amount of people that found Josh Allen sacking Josh Allen notable, let alone funny, is the reason why there's a market for a live-action Clifford. That's the reason. People are like, oh, how, how could you find the budget to do a live-action Clifford? Right there. People think that's funny. So you, you, the entire movie that live-action Clifford is going to be is making fun of how big a fucking dog is. Every joke. Oh, wish we had a bigger doghouse. That's going to be the, the entire movie. And like, oh, how can people laugh at this? People laughed at Josh Allen sacking Josh Allen for like two hours yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone actually laughed, or at least I hope no one laughed. I think a lot of people of them were laughed. funny. But it was... A lot of people grinned, smiled, found it amusing. It, I was amused. <laughs> I was amused that so many people thought it was amusing. Um, I will say, though... Went back and watched um, to really be like, what did the, what did the Jags do? You know, I'm like, how how did the Jags figure out the Bills? There was no there was no like secret formula. They did kind of the Bills game plan and what they've done to offenses like the Chiefs, where it was soft cover two, cover three. They were backing off everything and just saying, you know, take your checkdowns, like get it, get it to your get it out of your hand and get it underneath, and we'll give you eight yards if you want. And Josh Allen just wouldn't. He wouldn't take him. And so, like, that was when Josh Allen, after the game, said, I played like shit. That is what that was. That was that game was 1,000% on him because he had throws to be made there more than enough. And just instead of taking them, he kept either holding on to the ball in the pocket, trying to break the pocket and make plays. He just would not take them. I, I do think, to a degree, the Bills missed Dawson Knox. I think Tommy Sweeney, he does not trust the way he trusts Dawson Knox. Like if Dawson Knox is in that game, he probably goes for over 100 yards. Tommy Sweeney in this game had like two catches um, just because that's kind of where they were giving the space in this defense. But ultimately, that was just a bad, bad Josh Allen game. I mean, in this one, I think you could argue like every turnover-worthy play that Josh Allen had in this one was ugly, like ugly, ugly. Yes. When he was getting turned around in the pocket and then just fired one into Josh Allen's chest – that was awful. Then you looked at the other one where he threw, I didn't even know who number five was on the Jags, but like literally just waits on it, waits on it, hits it, and it's like to his chest. These, they, these were ugly, ugly interceptions. I think Josh Allen said it best. He played like shit. And what has, what has been your opinion of Josh Allen's play so far this season? Because there are some people talking about the fact that he ranks 19th in PFF passing grade, that he doesn't look as good as last year. People hate the word regression and think Josh Allen is the truth, but he hasn't looked as good as he has last year. And a lot of that is the turnover-worthy plays. 17 big-time throws, 13 turnover-worthy plays. I'm saying Josh Allen is – I'm not saying Josh Allen is as bad as he was in his first two years, but I do think this is validating a lot of the people that said last year could easily be his best season. It was one of the best seasons we've seen from a quarterback in some time. Yeah, and this wasn't like a new – necessarily think he, he had not been playing at that level even heading into this game it was more just he had a lot of touchdowns prior to this because the defense was putting him in a lot of situations to score um 
I, I think everyone kind of saw that coming. There was, it was never, it was such a massive leap that there had to be some middle ground that he would end up at ultimately. And I think some of that's also the offensive line has not been great so far this year. And in this game, they made Taven Bryan shit look good. Like one of the best <laughs> games of his career. He has two sacks in this one. So that is part of it as well. Um, but yeah, ultimately this one felt like I said, fell on Josh Allen. That was just a bad, bad performance from him. I still feel that and I think you, you said that the Cleveland Browns are the best team in the AFC. I still feel the Buffalo Bills, even losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars and putting up six points against this defense, are in the market for the best team in the AFC. I st- they're right yeah. now the favorite to win the AFC. And I, I, I'm still not counting out the Baltimore Ravens either. I still think the Baltimore Ravens are another mm-hmm. really good team in the AFC. If I had to lean one one area, though, the Titans. Where are you at? I, I think the Titans have had the best quarterback so far this season. Ryan Tannehill has graded the best of any, you know, of any quarterback mm-hmm. on the Browns or on the Buffalo Bills. And that defense has improved so much over the past four weeks. I think I heard George Chahuri on the forecast say they're the best team in the AFC. I still feel that I would put the Bills over the Titans and then have yeah. the Browns first like you. I don't even I think the Titans are probably the third best team in the AFC. I And I know a recency bias the Bills I'm not even put, sure I put the Titans in the top 3, I'll be honest. You put Ravens in there? I think I put the Chargers in there. I think they're still a sleeping giant in the AFC. And then, yeah, I, I think I go Browns, Bills, Chargers. Even though they didn't look exceptional, I still think the talent-wise, they have what it takes to get the job done. So there, that's where I put it. And Chiefs aren't even scratching your top three, top four? Chiefs have issues, man. Got a, I got an article coming up with PFF later, but this offense, I'm not necessarily certain it – ever gets back to looking like the offense it once was. All right, let's run it. Let's run it to Texans-Dolphins. Do we have to? We have to. Do we have to? Dolphins at home win 17-9 in probably the ugliest game of the weekend. It was not even fun. It was not fun to watch. This game sucked. <laughs> Jacoby Brissett, I mean, we know we've seen the tweets about him saying that... The sun's uh, cold. The sun, the sun, how is space cold if the sun's hot? Like, yeah. this is... Th- that tweet... If you had to like categorize that tweet in the playing form, that's what Brissett looks like in this game. Just wild, un, just like uncanny. Like it didn't make any sense. Some of the throws that he made in this one, when he was scrambling right and just throws a pick right to Houston Texans defender. Yeah, they win this game. Miles Gaskin had a touchdown early in a Wildcat offense. This is not Brissett did not look good in this one. Terod Taylor didn't look in the. I don't think any player looked. I mean, any team looked all that great in this one. It was just an ugly win for the Dolphins, seventeen nine. Yeah, there, there's really this Dolphins offensive line dude percent under pressure over half his dropbacks against a front that's throwing out jacob martin malik collins roy lopez jordan jenkins that's a those are like that's like that's backups in a lot of teams like that's not a good defensive line and you're giving up pressure on over half your dropbacks and al Brissett welcomes a little bit more pressure than tua does when he's in there and it's just completely untenable, and this rebuild of this offensive line just could not have gone worse, and, and is why has completely tanked their season this year, sadly. I have no idea what the Miami Dolphins do this offseason. I would, I would recommend signing some offensive linemen instead of obviously drafting. Your scouting department's not been, not been exceptional. I would, go, I would go the free agency route. If you got the space, the Miami Dolphins currently two and seven would pick number three overall in the 2022 draft, but they traded that pick to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Philadelphia Eagles would have the number three overall pick 
the number 14 overall pick, and I believe another first-rounder as well, like their own first-round pick, yeah. which would be seventh right now. They'd have three top 15 picks. They have an actual opportunity to rebuild. If they want to reset the quarterback position with Jalen Hurts, they can do that. If not, they can build around Jalen Hurts with three first-round picks, something that the Raiders could have done two or three years ago and obviously have botched. But this, Although I will say with the Dolphins, the way the 49ers are trending right now, they still may have made the right decision about giving, about giving theirs away and taking the 49ers. First right now, so. the San Francisco 49ers would be picking ninth. That pick traded to the Miami Dolphins, so they would still have a top 10 pick. We'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. Falcons Saints. Before we get to Falcons Saints, got to get to DraftKings. NFL fans hungry for a big win this week. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Falcons Saints. I thought the Saints were going to come back and take this dub. Or no, they, didn't they come back and take this dub? You're joking. Falcons won. It was, they came back, took the lead. In what we thought was classic Falcons collapse fashion, I thought it was. But a this classic. is a different Falcons team. No, they are not. now <laughs> four and four. They're up to four and four. I should not Uh-oh. have been writing off Matt Ryan the way I was early in the season. Now his arm still is not strong. Like his arm is cooked, but he has been playing a lot better of late uh, against a difficult Saints defense. Still to go against. Uh, I thought he played fantastic in this one. I actually didn't think Trevor Simeon played that badly either. But I still cannot, cannot, cannot believe they were six and a half point favorites in this game. Matt it made Ryan, no Trevor sense. Simeon, six Trevor Simeon favorites. was a six and a half point favorite in this game. I still can't believe that. That one just blows my mind. Blows I, my mind. I'm ready to say yeah. Cordero Patterson. I'll say it. I think Cordero Patterson not a bust Wasn't is a bust. top eight running back in the NFL. Oh wow, he is that good. They, how they leverage him? He's playing most yeah. of his snaps out of the backfield. Then he plays. He beat corners on the out, one-on-one on the outside. Yeah. I don't think there's another running back in the NFL that can do that. If you're categorizing Cordero Patterson as a running back, I think he's top eight one in the NFL. I will say, Arthur Smith, what he has started, what he has done with Patterson, with Pitts, with the weapons he has in this offense, without Calvin Ridley here in the fold, has been exceptional. Like I, I, I thought he's done a great coaching job this year after some early season struggles. Kind of, it just nothing was flowing correctly early on. I, I am very impressed with the job he has done over the past, you know, f- five or six weeks with this offense. It's humming. Now the defense side of the ball is still a massive issue. Outside of AJ Terrell, there's really not much to write home about. But in this game, AJ Terrell has another monster. Three pass breakups, only two of five targets for 19 yards. He is balling so far this season. The guy we highlighted last week. I just don't know who you're putting ahead of Cordero Patterson. So far this year, great alone. Great alone. Okay. 90.2 PFF grade. Best of any running back. Obviously, Aaron Jones, Jonathan Taylor, Joe Mixon, if you want, Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb. There are some names you can throw up there, but at a certain point. He's not like a running back, though, is the thing. He doesn't run. He's 73 carries in the year, 278 yards. 73 carries on the year? Yeah. 
I, I still feel like that's pretty up there with everyone running committees. But I'm just saying, like, he's still not really a running back. He, he's more of a wide receiver. You call him, he's offensive weapon. He's like their Johnu Smith-ish, except for, like, not really. Johnu Smith? Of. I mean, Arthur Smith had a Johnu Smith last year. Now, he's like their hybrid role player guy. I guess that's fair. I mean, it's tough. It's tough because he plays most of his snaps out of the backfield. But categorizing him as a running back, I think he's that good. Um, Raiders-Giants. This was an ugly one. And I bet on the Raiders, unfortunately. I like the Raiders minus three. Yeah. This is awful, though. This is easily they lose. Giants win 23-16 as three-point dogs at home. And this was Derek Carr's worst single-game grade in a long time. He did not play well in this one. The pick was late and inside to Hunter Renfro. That I think that was Xavier McKinney's first pick. And then he also had the other pick where he just tossed up a lollipop to Zay Jones, and it was an easy interception with, like I think, under six minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. They got another opportunity to go down there and try and win this game or tie this game up at the least. And then the strip sack, Colton Miller, who's been phenomenal all season long, even graded well in this game, yeah. gave up a strip sack to Quincy Roche, also held on that play. This was, I mean, I think Derek Carr is the biggest reason they lost this one, but they also like struggled to stop Devontae Booker of all people. I guess it was the Devontae Booker revenge game, though. Was the Devontae Booker revenge game? Got to give a shout out to Xavier McKinney. He he had a hell of a game. That pick six is not. That wasn't like a layup sort of pick six. That was a play on the ball that he made. That you know, not every safety is going to make. That's why Derek Carr made that throw. He didn't think you know. The rolled down safety is going to be able to cover Hunter Renfro on a route like that. So hats off to him. Then he obviously had the other pick that, like you said, the one or six minutes that pretty much iced that game. The Giants, though, and their their tackles, dude, they still suck so much. Without Andrew Thomas in there, they were getting demolished. Daniel Jones only 110 passing yards in that game. Good lord, they, they still have their massive issues offensively. But this Raiders team without Henry Ruggs is not going to be the same. It's not even going to be close to the same offensively because of that threat and just losing that. And now I think they it was reported yesterday that they're the favorites to sign Deshaun Jackson. They did sign Deshaun Jackson. They did sign Deshaun Jackson. There you go. They, they just need that. They, they need these speeds somewhere in that lineup because that was a role in that offense. Like it, Henry Ruggs was not, was not just another receiver in his usage. He was threatening defenses down the football field without that you that underneath stuff that Derek Carr has thrived on because of their offensive line just doesn't work the same started out the season three and oh I've gotten two and three since due a handful of reasons the losses to the Giants and the Chicago Bears Raiders right now would be in the wild card if they did you know if the postseason started today but I don't think this is a playoff team I don't think it's – maybe they end up with one. Maybe they end up with a record that gets them in the playoffs. But this – in the beginning of the season, I felt was such a good team. And with Henry Ruggs and and what they had, I thought would be moving forward in this defense too. But, like, at this point, I do think – maybe I'm overreacting one game. Maybe I'm overreacting. This is a – they obviously losing John Gruden, then losing Henry Ruggs. There was a lot – there was a lot to overcome for this team. There was Mm -hmm. a lot to overcome. I think so much that – it could be a situation where this is a middle-of-the-pack season. Maybe they do crack the playoffs. But I thought them as legitimate potential deep postseason playoff contenders win at full strength. Now, I think you could see a late-season collapse for Las Vegas, Las Vegas Raiders. Possible. I, I, they, they are trending the wrong way, I'll say. Chargers-Eagles. This one, the Chargers were favored by a half point at close. On yeah. the road against Philly. I felt that was one of the more egregious lines. You yeah. said the Chargers... It ended up 
getting close to that number, but still the Chargers felt like things had to go very wrong for them to not win this game. Yeah, it was wild. So Chargers win 27-24 over the Philadelphia Eagles. Herbert, a lot of underneath stuff, very low average depth of target in this one. And you saw the quick game show up again. I mean, Keenan Allen out route, Keenan Allen out route. Like they did, they did a lot to just keep the ball near the line of scrimmage. But when he did have an opportunity to throw down the field, you saw some success. Probably the highlight was that third quarter throw to Mike Williams deep down the opposite side of the field, right on the money. I want to see more of that though. I want to yeah. see more of that from Justin Herbert in this offense. They should be throwing down the football field more. They have the horses. I like Mike Williams, I like Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer. They have the receiving core to do it. I just don't know why we don't see it more. Yeah, Joe Lombardi, man. And I get I get that Storm Norton's still your right tackle and that Brian Balaga, uh, the TBD on when and if he'll play again this season after getting hurt week one. And that he is a liability one-on-one. You can't really leave him one-on-one. But still, with Justin Herbert and that receiving core, the kind of their strengths of the two, this offense just is not built to be running the way they are with here are the quarterbacks with a lower average depth of target than Justin Herbert this year. Daniel Jones, Matt Ryan, Big Ben, Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff. Herbert's arm compared to those guys' arm is not even in the same realm of conversation. Not even just arm talent alone, though, but like his success the, down the field yes. is so much better. Uh, and then like the receiving cores that he has in Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, big body dudes that can win down the football field catch point. They're turning them into, like you said, out routes, uh, flat routes. Like That is this offense. It looks like what he did shit at Oregon. Uh, and they just seemingly play under – like the results continue to be less offensively than – and there's no better, there's no better like microcosm of that than their 98 yard drive that did, they didn't score on uh, the longest drive in NFL history. They come away with no points because you literally can't get any longer, or else you're going to score. <laughs> 98 <laughs> yards, no points. Uh, yeah, obviously still come with when massive for them. I still think, like I said, this is the third best team in the AFC just from a talent perspective. But they seemingly still play like less than the sum of their parts. Man, that's gotta be disappointing because the Chargers. I do think they've they've got it all right now. They've yeah, got I mean, it all to be deep postseason contenders. I think we've been saying that since week one. Like mm-hmm. this Chargers team is legit. This Chargers team can go. If it's Joel Lombardi that's going to keep us from that, I'm going to be upset because they have. I think Justin Herbert looks phenomenal. I think he's a top five graded passer on the season. Their defense is obviously, I, I think, capable of stopping anyone or at least slowing anyone with Brandon Staley, Joe, Joey Bosa, all you know, Derwin James, but. They got it. They got to find it on offense. They need to be putting up thirty yeah. plus every single week, especially against a bad Philadelphia Eagles defense. Before we get to Packers Chiefs, which was that was hard to watch, man. That was some ugly, ugly QB play yeah. from your boy Jordan Love. Um, Western Southern. Whether it's football success or financial savvy, the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. Western Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help you put ahead, put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Want to hear more about Chris's old playing days or behind the scenes with Allen Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Now you can ask about either or both. And every football or financial question you ask earns you a chance to win a catered party for February's big game. Check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western Southern's Instagram to answer those questions for answers to those questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash ask Chris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash ask Chris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Packers Chiefs, this game stunk. Chiefs win 13-7. Patrick Mahomes didn't play all that well. 
Neither did Jordan Love, though. Jordan Love, I think, had a sub-30 PFF passing grade. Mm-hmm. This was one of the most inaccurate quarterback performances I've seen in a while. Like, it was consistently inaccurate for Jordan Love, especially early in the game when the, when the nerves were up. The, he was missing a ton of throws. You saw some strikes in the fourth quarter that were positive. But, man, the negatives far, far, far outweighed the positives for Jordan Love. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the positives. There weren't many. I think the biggest positive was his pocket movement like when faced with pressure he was pressured 20 times this game he only took one sack and that was probably his biggest one of his biggest positives coming out of utah state was he had one of the lowest pressure sack conversion rates like he doesn't take those negative plays he's been very good at that uh, at least getting the ball out of his hand so that's a positive that was like i said probably the only positive for jordan love in this game um the most worrisome thing this kind of the scariest thing for me, uh, seeing you know, sort of a guy who has had over a year and a half now to develop at the NFL level, basically work on the little things without needing to, uh, without being the guy who has to prep every week the playbook, take all those reps. Like he can work on the minute of the quarterback position is how many throws he still had that he was either falling off, didn't have his feet set, didn't have come from like a steady base in the pocket that. That should have been what he was. That should be all he was working on. You know, know, those sort of getting drilling his mechanics down to where he's not falling off a flat route and missing it uh, by you know three feet. Those are the little things that he should be great at right now. That were you know issues at Utah State, still issues right now. A year and a half into his NFL career. Now the blitz stuff going against Steve Spagnolo, all they do defensively, throwing a bunch of different blitz looks at him. They blitz the shit out of him. I'm not going to be too harsh. Like that is stuff that you can't replicate in practice. That is difficult to deal with. And he was awful at it. Seven of eighteen on twenty bl- twenty one blitz dropbacks for forty yards. That's all they got. They literally should have never stopped blitzing with how skittish he was going up against those. Um, and, and then the throw that really was just like the kind of I am worried about Jordan Love is when Devonta Adams one on one go route. Beats the inside release, has literally the entire field to loft it up to Devontae Adams and throws it out of bounds. Throws it out of bounds. Like, that's just a— At his feet, too? Like, out of bounds and at his feet? In con- no, no, I think you're thinking about the other one. Oh, I think okay. at left sideline, throws it over, just oh, well gotcha. out of bounds. I was talking left. about the fourth down throw. No, I mean, yeah. that was another one-on-one situation. It was yeah. just at his, at his toes. To where you got to give that guy a chance in that situation. That just, like, does the feel for quarterback position. That's a, that's a throw that— I don't care if it is your first start. That should be better than that. How much of that, though, in your unbiased opinion, is not is on Aaron Rodgers for not grooming him? I mean, can we not? Don't you feel that it's been it's Aaron Rodgers' fault at its core? He hasn't developed Jordan Love and hasn't been a good, you know, mentor. Not setting the right uh, example by getting the vaccine. I, 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 someone has to talk about yeah. it. No one else is. Someone has. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Jordan Love, whatever, has not played well for the for the Chiefs. I know you're right in the article. I was gonna say. I would say. I'll, to, sorry to cut you off there, but as a Packers fan, I am I, I feel better about the Packers after this game than I do about the Chiefs. Like the Packers defense to have shut down a Chiefs offense that that was not Patrick Mahomes' offense. That was for as bad as we've said. You know he's looked at times this year, and this Chiefs offense has looked. That was the worst it's looked outside of the Super Bowl last year since Mahomes has taken over. More three and outs than they've had the entire rest of the season in this game just nothing down the football field that was 
a great performance from the Packers to keep them in that game. I mean, this this preview the Patrick Mahomes article you're writing here. Because I'll, I'll add a stat to whatever. Madden just dropped him from a 99 to a 98. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the ultimate death knell here. Buddy. Oh, no. The He's a 98 in Madden now. So if you thought Patrick Mahomes, if you were concerned about Patrick Mahomes before, you better be concerned now. Well, the, the article actually doesn't have anything to do with Patrick Mahomes. It just revolves around Jackson and Brittany Matthews. Don't, don't, don't. Oh, my gosh. We have to talk about in that game, they put Jordan Love's mom in the fucking rafters. <laughs> oh, yeah. What was that? I mean, I, I think saw a phenomenal was... tweet. It was like four hours after the game. I don't know who it was from. I apologize. But someone said, Jordan Love's mom is still walking down the stadium steps. <laughs> Why did they position them so deep? I was going to say, and if you do, like, make sure they don't get shown on TV because it was, I mean, it's probably because it's like try to take an objective look at this. I can't. Aaron Rodgers wasn't, like, she wasn't supposed to start. They weren't going to go to the game until Wednesday. It's obviously a massive game that the tickets have all been spoken oh, okay. for. You couldn't have snuck them in a booth. That's what, I know. That's the thing. It's like, it seems like there was probably a better way, but that is. I'm going to say this. I refuse to think those are the last seats available. No. I refuse. Those were not. Those were not the last seats available. They could have done better. The Chiefs could have done better. That was hilarious. Uh, that was the, the, them like zooming in all the way deep to find them. That was freaking amazing. Uh, Cardinals 49ers. This score was closer than the game was. Yeah. Cardinals win thirty one seventeen, but the Cardinals were in control the entire way, even with Colt McCoy. You look at the score and you're like, oh yeah, Kyler Murray continues to dominate. No, Colt McCoy played in this one. Eric Eager tweeted, it's a choice to lose to Colt McCoy. <laughs> like, how how do you lose to Colt McCoy, especially as bad as they did? And Jimmy Garoppolo didn't even play terribly in this one. It was just not, I mean. Colt McCoy and and DeAndre Hopkins didn't play. Did, and you, you still lose 31 You didn't have quite literally the two best players on the Arizona Cardinals in this game. That's why I think a lot of people are calling the Cardinals the best team in the NFL. Do you agree? They just lost to the Packers last week, so no. But I, I, I don't know why I get it. Colt McCoy, I know DeAndre Hopkins, they beat up on a bad, I'll say it, a bad 49ers team. Yeah. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are still the best team in the NFL. Yeah, I, I mean, I still think from a pure roster perspective, probably the Buccaneers. But the Packers are getting up there, man. The Packers are looking good. When they get to full strength, I'm just going to say Shut it. up. No, you're going to say, you're like, come on. They the are. Packers are not a better team than the Bucs. Okay, well, we'll just see. But <laughs> in this game, I don't know what to say about Kyle Shanahan because this is – the offense continues to be average, not, not not a offense that can compete. And you have a quarterback with a twenty-five plus million dollar cap hit this year, and a guy you drafted number three overall, and you can't get shit going whatsoever. I I, I am I, I never thought that Kyle Shanahan would be on the hot seat. I think he very well may be on the hot seat at some point this season because. I don't foresee. This you think around. Kyle Shanahan's going to be on the hot seat at some point this season? I could. I, I could. See, no way. I There's this... no way. There's no way. That relationship with Lynch is perfect. He still hasn't played Trey Lance. There's no way. There's zero chance. All right. I'm just saying that this is not. I don't foresee them turning this around offensively. All you can argue that Kyle Shanahan is not meeting expectations. You can argue that Kyle Shanahan has been drastically underwhelming this season. There is that seat is fucking. He's sitting on an ice cube. The Coca-Cola polar bears are sitting next to him. There's just a zero percent chance Shanahan's on the hot seat. He is like legitimately the face of San Francisco. I don't. I. I. I it would have to take another season of this with Trey Lance before we even having the conversation. In my opinion, did we bring up the Eno Benjamin run, former Arizona State legend, that who just dope. absolutely truck sticked? Who that was that was, on the receiving end? 
Oh, who was it? I, I don't even know. But it's off the face of the earth right now. There were some. Uh, there were some. Some angry runs this week. That one tough to top. The Javante Williams run. Oh, in I the bring Cowboys up. game was out of this world. But you know Benjamin, that's about as clean a trucking as you'll see uh, at the NFL level. That looked like a high school run. Madden moving Patrick Mahomes to a ninety-eight. Eno Benjamin's truck stick, I think, is going to get a little love. Javante Williams, 35 broken tackles so far this year on the ground, tied with Nick Chubb for the most in the NFL. His 40 total when you include receptions. That's the most in the NFL. Mm. He's on pace who could have seen that to break the rookie season record for broken tackles in a single season. Javante Williams, who, if you people forgot, led all of college football in North Carolina and forced his tackles per touch last year. So that translating pretty nicely to the NFL when are we going to put Melvin Gordon on the bench? I don't know. I, I, I think Javante Williams. I was Williams. begging to put uh, not no, no hate against Melvin Gordon, but just Javante Williams is objectively hashtag more fun to watch. All righty. Oh, a couple more games left. Or no, one more game. Titans-Rams. This was an interesting one. Line moved from 6.5 to 7.5 in favor of the Rams when Derrick Henry, the injury news came out. Mm-hmm. Titans win 28-16. And I would argue that the offense didn't look phenomenal. This was Matthew Stafford... Back playing to back terribly. Plays. Literally the, the two plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had the pick six and then the near pick six. It was, it was the near pick six first and then the pick six. Yeah, second. the near pick six when he was getting tackled in the end zone. Carson Wentz asks, throws it to a defender's chest. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, that was terrible. <laughs> terrible ball gets picked and returned to the house from Kevin Byard, who some are talking about as a dark horse defensive player of the year candidate. Currently leads all safeties in PFF grade. No other safety has a grade above 86. He's clearing 90 right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think he has the name recognition to get it. And with Trayvon Diggs, like, far outpacing him in interceptions, it could be tough. But he's playing phenomenal. We'll probably go down as, you know, as an underrated season for Kevin Byard. Yeah. Uh, I, he's always, and he's been a probably top 10 safety for a minute now. He's also not defensive player of the year. If it's not Miles Garrett, it's Aaron Donald. There's... There are your two options. Um, in this game, though, Titans offense, like I said, didn't look good. Their defensive line, uh, their defensive line, and their defensive line being an issue for Bud Dupree doing zilch. But it is Harold Landry, and it is Jeffrey Simmons. Dude, Simmons is a monster. Wreaking havoc along the interior. And they do a lot of games. They do a lot of stunts, slants. They, they like to create havoc any by any means necessary jeffrey simmons nine pressures in this game he now has 42 on the season almost matches total from 2020 alone at 44 last year already has 42 this season that dude's looking like well worth the 19th overall pick and that's why we say the draft is not about year one because they could have passed on him i mean he had the injury tried right? to get I a mean, guy yeah, yeah, i remember out, had an acl in the pre-draft process comes out still Falls to 19th when, I mean, he was top 10 player on the PFF draft board because, shit, that's how good he was. And Mississippi State um, obviously comes in as rookie, quiet rookie season, but is now looking like one of the better DTs in the league. Shout out coach Steven Adegoke, friend from San Diego State who's coaching at Mississippi State when Simmons was there. I remember when he texted me right after the ACL injury, he's like, man, someone's going to miss out on a phenomenal player because he is a dude. He's now coaching at Michigan, Adegoke. Yeah. And now Jeffrey Simmons not only has 42 pressures, that leads the NFL. Aaron Donald doesn't – I haven't seen Aaron Donald not atop this list probably in like two or three years, yeah. maybe more. 42 total pressures, Aaron Donald with 41. Those are the two leading defensive tackles right now. That is an absurd stat to be ahead of Donald in anything. Yeah, nine pressures this week. That's obviously inflating that number. But still, 
a really impressive week for Jeffrey Simmons, a really impressive year for Jeffrey Simmons, him playing well. That's it for the NFL preview. Now we're on to fun to watch, watch, fun to read, rookie of the week, blackout of the week, and the cake your pants moment of the week. Let's start with the fun to watch, watch. Denzel Perryman from this is from Jesse Merrick, who is, looks like, works for a sports interpreter for News 3LV. Denzel Perryman, the linebacker for the Las Vegas Raiders, former Miami Hurricane, comes to play each and every week right from the jump. That dude is fun to watch. And then the other that one. That one was full of, he comes to play every week. Was he like, it's full of just non, non take takes. Comes to play every week, brings his hard hat, and then he's fun to watch. Dude, you could be what, the worst linebacker. You, you could be the worst <laughs> linebacker in the NFL and come to play every single week and be fun to watch. Yeah. That's a fact. What more could you ask? I mean, you could argue Daniel Sorensen in some ways is fun to watch. Yeah. And he does come to play every single week. Coach Taggart, this is from FAU Owl's Nest. I don't know if it's going to be too biased. Coach Taggart on, oh, this is Taggart. Yeah, Taggart Coach, himself. Coach Taggart, coach of FAU, on how he would like the culture he'd like. Okay, Coach Taggart on how he would like the culture he'd like to see FAU to be viewed as. What? Smart, tough, physical, and fun to watch. That's hot. That's hot. Call, call I kind of like that. I want our culture to be fun to watch, too. Yeah. I want this pod to be fun to watch if or fun to listen. Now we're on to the fun to reads, and we got some doozies here. This was a week of fun to reads. John, oh yeah, it was a week of fun. I mean, Pole Assassin's not even on this list, and it yeah. was on. I mean, there was a lot. There was a lot going on this week. But these ones, these ones took the cake. These yeah. two. John Scott TV. Getting a first-round pick for Trubisky would be incredibly hard to pass up. Pause. What? What? Just keep going. Second would be very enticing, too. Would it? <laughs> I understand value and strong backup QB. But that's how he worded it. But Bills aren't winning Super Bowl SB if Allen out for playoffs regardless of QB. And schedule should allow them cushion if out short term. That's one of the worst tweets I've seen. It's both worded terribly and the take is terrible. <laughs> Dude, talking about getting a first or second round for Mitch Trubisky. I don't even think and you get a first round pick for Derek Carr. I he, mean, that's, that's, that's absurd. He ends up doubling down and saying, I didn't think someone would give it to him. I just said it would be hard to pass up. It's like, okay, thanks, buddy. We would it be hard to pass up? Yeah. It'd be hard to pass up a lot of things. It'd be hard to pass up a first round pick for Damon Arnett right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm so lost. Now, this one was interesting. Um, Dan Orlovsky. You want to take the reins here? So Dan Orlovsky is getting roasted on Twitter. This is on Monday uh, that he tweets this out. He has his website called allprodad.com. That's his website? It's his website, I believe. Where, or is it his website? I'm not sure it actually is his website. But he writes for allprodad.com. Same. And already kind of a... Odd name for a website. If you think of yourself, you think the do, you think the website's got an odd name. How about the article? Okay, article is called Four Ways to Avoid Temptation," and in it, he talks about not. He goes full Mike Pence on him, saying he doesn't spend. He will not be one on one with a woman when he's on the road ever, which is like, it's just odd. It's just an odd thing to then like promote on his Twitter account that talks about sports I, anytime anyone does like crossover like life self-help stuff that's also like in the sports world i always feel like it's very cringy you know i don't understand some of this <laughs> <laughs> the beginning I, I just would recommend it's a recommended read I, it's, so it's, go, a lot, it's a full it's a full article 
You're so in the in the first in the first graft, it's like focus on knowing yourself. I don't personally struggle with pornography, but I know a lot of guys do. Avoid temptation. You struggle with pornography. You win, you win by avoiding it. Whatever. And it's later focus on being in a community. And when I say I'm with a group, I mean a group. John Kitna taught me to never be one on one with a female. That, in my opinion, so and I'm going to try and be honest here. In my opinion, this does not feel like you 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 could see this advice coming from the angle that is. Don't be one-on-one with a woman because I'm dumb and I think that you know women will blame me for stuff and I think I'm going to get caught in a Me Too thing, which is terrible advice in and of itself. Yeah. Like to be to think that like that's on you. But this is about avoiding temptation, and avoiding temptation means don't be one-on-one with a woman. That is weird, man. That is really weird. I don't I don't want to read this anymore. It's <laughs> a fucking weird ass thing to say. It's, it's fun just to read. A, it's allprodad.com just <laughs> dropping bombshells. All right, rookie of the week. All right, let's get rookie back. of the week. Quiddy Pay earned a career high ninety point two PFF grade. Had nine total pressures on Thursday night football, and also was never caught one on one with a woman. Rookie of the week mm. for Quiddy Pay, the Indianapolis Colts so defender. He avoided temptation by sacking quarterbacks. He was yeah, he was all over the place. This was easily his best game as a pro, working against both tackles. Honestly, I, he beat Becton. A couple times he beat Morgan Moses. A couple times he was uh, just it just looked different than we had seen from him in the past, and that's uh, it's nice. Like they that is something they have needed desperately. We've talked about ad nauseum on the show that hey, this Colts defense is not going to be the Colts defense we saw last year until they can get some pressure on opposing quarterbacks. pay that's the kind of performance where we're like, okay, this guy could be a problem because athletically we, we talked about all dress he is there like he is a different dude a special dude and it really showed in this game breaking before we get to blackout of the week and the cake your pants moment and then the Jahan Dotson interview from Penn State looks like Russ Wilson's back oh he's playing against Baxter dropped a video I think all the I mean the the Russell Wilson social media brand is a whole podcast in and of itself but this video is a hype up video announcing that he's back Exciting stuff. Russell Wilson back. So if you are betting Seahawks, Packers, know that Russell Wilson's likely going to be playing. Blackout of the week. Liam Eikenberg. I mean, you've got probably got the Miami Dolphins logo on this segment because it has been a rough, rough yeah. go at it for a lot of their young players. Ten pressures allowed in this game? Ten pressures allowed. Like I said, you think he was going up against Jacob Martin, the vast majority of those. Jonathan Grenard was in on some of those or no? And, and he's at left tackle. Like, this isn't him playing out of position this was where he played Notre Dame his entire career there yikes 10 pressures and again rookies it's usually bad for tackles and that's why we say like hey draft the offensive lineman years before you need them uh, Miami did not heed such advice and well 10 pressures against the Texans Eek. blackout Take your pants. Baker Mayfield's an 89.8 PFF grade. I think mine was definitely Jahan Dotson going off after the interview. Oh, no, mine was, it was 100%, as you know, with my takes on the OBJ-Baker Mayfield situation over the past year and a half, two years almost at this point. He come, coming out and just slinging easily his best game this season, not even close, 89.8. He hadn't had a grade in the 80s prior to this. Uh, in the first game, or, you know, in the game without... Odell Beckham this season it was just a vastly different performance than we had seen from a multiple big time throws I think I was being very annoying when I said uh every single time he completed a throw down the football field I was like uh what was I saying I was saying oh it's amazing how good Baker is when his receivers are where he expects him to be um 
because yeah, that those there was something there. There was something between them. It didn't work, and I still think Baker's a legitimate NFL quarterback. But just whatever it was between him and Odell Beckham was holding him back. Seriously, it seriously was. I mean, there is there, there is, are still there, there there's is, still negative aspects yeah. to his game. I'm not saying he's a fucking elite. I'm saying he's Josh Allen all of a sudden, but he can win you games. There's just that situation was bad between them. Where do you? I mean, they think they they need some improvement in that receiving core, though. I don't think they're going to be able to get away with Donovan Peoples Jones. I like Jarvis Landry. I think they need some help there, but still, I think you know Odell Beckham Jr. on the football field making Baker Mayfield worse. I feel like never did I ever approach it from the angle that like their personal relationship wasn't good. I thought, you know, it's like him forcing the football to him and some of that stuff. But I do think that there is some to OBJ. You know, there you know, we don't know if you know, those Robbie Anderson-like outbursts were coming from OBJ because not all of those are obviously yeah. caught on camera. Is it coming in practice? Is it in the huddle when OBJ gets in the huddle? Baker, you got to show the fuck up. I mean, all that kind of stuff. There are different things that could have been negatively affecting it. It sounds like, from all the reports we've heard, we're obviously kind of speculating, but like, they didn't get along. And when you don't get along, I think you could see it show up, and it obviously did. Team but, dynamics are difficult to like assess. But like, as, if you have played on a team, you know when there's like a teammate that is someone that's like can be good, talented, but that can also drag the team down with their presence. There's, that's a thing that happens that, like I said, it looks like it's the case in this. Fair. Let's get to the ja, Jahan Dotson interview, uh, wide receiver from Penn State. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current Penn State wideout Jahan Dotson, one of my favorite receivers to follow in college football, even dating back to last season, a COVID-impacted season, but still had a very successful year for Penn State, over 800 yards receiving, and also really good games against some really good cornerbacks. We'll talk about some of those on today's show. Really appreciate you jumping on. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Let's focus in on this season specifically. You have entered a premier role in this Penn State offense. I think you've had over 10 targets in eight games or so this season, seven or eight games. You are the offense in a lot of ways, specifically in the passing game. How has it been really transitioning into this focal point with Penn State, with Sean Clifford, and how have your expectations changed and your habits changed on and off the field? Yeah, uh, it's fun. Uh, It's something that I've literally always dreamed about. Uh, being in the program as a young guy uh, and playing early, uh, you kind of just see your your role kind of increase year by year by year. And I uh, just waiting my turn, uh, learning behind some of the veterans that were before me, uh, like KJ Hamler, uh, Jawan Johnson, those guys like that. Just learning little things about that and knowing that when that role comes, that I'm I'm gonna be ready for it. And uh, I've literally been preparing every single year that I've been here for uh, this moment and. I, I just look at it. It's fun for me mm-hmm. um, getting these opportunities to, to showcase my talent, help my team win. Uh, it's, it's, it's a blast. That's awesome, man. And you were, you're, you're from Pennsylvania, had a lot of offers coming out. I think a four-star receiving prospect coming out of high school, had a lot of options, go Bama, UCLA, some blue bloods around the country. And you decided to stay in state. What right. all went into that decision? How much of James Franklin was that a part of that decision? I guess walk me through you know, why you wanted to stay with the Nathan Lions. Yeah, so first first and foremost, uh, my family. Uh, my family has been supporting me ever since I picked up a football. So uh, getting being able to get them to every single game, which they travel to, home and away, uh, that, that was huge for me uh, just because my support system is so big and it, it's such a prevalent thing in my life. And then Coach Franklin just helped tremendously with the decision. He made it so much easier for me just because of the coach he is, 
the person he is off the field, um, the goals that he had for me, um, the things that he saw in me. Uh, it, it was it was a pretty easy decision. Uh, he made it easy. The family atmosphere here made it easy, and the, the guys they they're like no other in the country. I think what's been interesting too that you've had an opportunity to play so early in your career, and you got there young. When you first got to Penn State, how old were you? Uh, I think eighteen. Yeah. 18, and you already, you know, in 2018, 22 targets, 13 receptions for over 200 yards, and you've been doing it at what I see listed here, 5'11", 184, on the outside. I mean, you've played more than 85% of your routes at outside receiver. Obviously, you know, not the biggest guy in the books, but making people miss and, and, and doing things at the line of scrimmage and making releases at the line of scrimmage. How much would you say you've developed as an outside receiver in the time and in the opportunities that you've had at Penn State? Yeah, I've developed tremendously. Uh, I always go back and watch, like, my freshman film from freshman camp or freshman games uh, and the way that I've, I've developed in my route running um, just being an overall better receiver being better in the blocking game I took tremendous pride in that uh, just every little facet of my game I've been trying to uh, improve on tremendously and I feel like I, I've done that so far um, still trying to improve every single day at the little things that I'm not so good at that I need to uh, improve on but uh, overall just learning from the past and learning from mistakes um, and making sure that they never happen again. I'm glad you brought up film. I'm always interested to hear, you know, talented, you know, players like yourself, what their film process is, both in and out of season, you know, in the off season, do you have those opportunities to turn on tape of yourself or even tape of NFL guys? And then in season, what is the day-to-day film process look like for you? Yeah. So out of season, uh, I kind of watch more of uh, NFL receivers, uh, different guys around college football I just try to take little things that they do and try to implement them in my game. And I go out on the field in the summer and just kind of work on those things, uh, just trying to fine-tune those things and then fine-tune the things that I'm good at, uh, just perfecting them, perfecting my craft. That was always something my dad told me. Uh, you, you, ne- you, can't, you can't go wrong with the basics. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what our coach, Coach Stubblefield, always teaches us. You, literally, the basics are always going to uh, improve your, your game tremendously. So uh, – Fine-tuning that, uh, perfecting my craft. And then in-season, uh, it's more of opponent film, uh, watching myself, um, watching myself at practice every day, seeing what I can get better at, and uh, just improving uh, week by week, day by day. And what are some of those tendencies when you are turning on opponent film? What are some of those ones where you start licking your chops a bit, where you see a corner that maybe has some opportunity, you know, going to give you some opportunities that maybe other corners don't? What are those specific tendencies that you look for? Yeah, uh, you, lo- you look – how physical guys are at the line of scrimmage. Uh, you, you see how much you need to use your hands, how much guys use their feet. Uh, you, you look at how jumpy a corner is. Uh, if he likes to jump on slants, uh, you know you can beat him with double moves and stuff like that. So um, just, just nitpicking little things from uh, different cornerbacks in the, in the country, uh, I find that real fun. Because uh, mm-hmm. you know that once you get in the game that you kind of have that little – little thing in your back of your mind knowing that he's going to do this or he's going to do that so uh, i i enjoy it uh tremendously uh and it, it's easy when you have guys on your team that that love watching film too like my roommate jesse he watches he watches film like like it's a television show so like <laughs> just being in his room uh we'll literally be sitting on the couch he has the ipad set up on the tv and we're just we're just watching stuff 
That's awesome, man. I was thought, I, when I watch quarterbacks, like looking at draft prospects or watching guys in the NFL, something I find that's awesome is watching all of their targets, you know, 10 or 10 yards or closer to the line of scrimmage and then comparing, you know, those tendencies to when the targets are 10 plus yards down the scrimmage. You could see, you could see the differences in how they attack the deep ball versus how they attack slants and things underneath. I think that's, you know, a lot of what you're bringing up there. In terms of, um, Weight room. What has been your approach in season, out season? Is it, are you looking to add weight? I talked to a lot of guys on this pod who are like, yeah, I'm trying to add 40 pounds in the off season and waking <laughs> up at 3 a.m. and drinking protein shakes. Where are you at in that regard and how has that been? Yeah. So, uh, out of season is more of bulking, uh, putting on weight, um, just trying to get as strong as I can, uh, as explosive as I can. And then in season, it's more of just maintaining. I, I'm one of those guys who literally waking up the crack of dawn, drinking protein shakes, uh, just trying to get all those calories in and trying to maintain weight because uh, we, we do a lot of running at the position, a wide receiver. So uh, those calories, they, they burn off fast. So mm-hmm. um, just trying to get them in as, as much as possible. But in season, more maintaining weight and out of season, getting explosive and getting bigger. I want to focus a little bit too, and I brought it up at the top about you know some of the cornerbacks that you've had success against, and some of the you know playing in the Big Ten, playing at Penn State, you have a unique opportunity to play against some really talented defensive backs. Who are some names that come to mind as some of the top competition you faced, guys that have given you probably the most challenges, or maybe you've learned the most from in your career at Penn State? Yeah, so uh, I would say my sophomore year, um, guys at Ohio State were were. Tremendous talents. Uh, Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, those guys are very tough to go against. Even my freshman year, I played in the slot a little bit, and uh, I played against um, safety from Iowa. Uh, I think it's I'm trying Imani to think Hooker. of who it would be. Yeah, Monty Hooker, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was very tough. Um, last year, uh, guys like Sean Wade, uh, very tough opponents. Um, kid from Michigan State, uh, he plays for the Steelers now. Hmm. Try to think of that be too tough. Oh, Michigan State. Shakir Brown. Shakir Brown. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. He, he was tough. Um, and this year I faced some some great guys week in and week out. Uh, Roger McCreary from Auburn. Uh, Denzel Burke. He's going to be a tremendous talent as a oh, freshman. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, I faced some some pretty good talent as I I've gone up my ranks here at Penn State, but uh, it, it's fun. Every opportunity. Every every week is a, a great opportunity for me, like you said, and uh, I, I look forward to it. You were able to pull some pretty great names there. I talked to I was talking to Aiden Hutchinson, the Michigan edge defender, and you bring up who are some offensive tackles? I got nameless faces. Yeah, I don't know anybody. I it's number fifty three. It's number sixty six. <laughs> Do you hold it kind of differently? Do you kind of pro, you know pride yourself or or like the fact that you're going against top tier talent? And when you are going against a Sean Wade or an Amani Hooker, you go into those games with a different edge, knowing that these are also top talents. Yeah, I, I love it. Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily I go into the game with a different edge mm-hmm. uh, just because every week I'm going against someone who who's either trying to knock me off or I'm trying to knock them off. So uh, yeah. I approach it the same same way, uh, go about my week the same exact way, uh, study my opponents the same way. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, I find it so there's so much fun in it uh, just because at the end of the day, us athletes, we love to compete. And what better way to compete against someone who is – a very extremely good talent. How much chirping or trash talk is factored into your game? It's it's everyone's got a different type. You know, some people like yeah. to keep things quiet, let the game talk. Some people find an edge and getting into that mental element. Where do you stand on that tier? Yeah, I, I don't I don't do too much talking. Uh, I kind of just let my game talk for me. Um, it, I, I'm out there kind of just 
having my way, just balling. Yeah. Um, just playing ball. Love that. That's awesome, man. Um, I also wanted to bring up another defensive back you've probably seen a decent amount, Jaquan Brisker. We had right. him on this podcast. He was a phenomenal interview and a, an even better football player. He has been outstanding for Penn State. What's your relationship with him? I'm sure you guys have gone toe-to-toe in your time there. Yeah, that, that's my guy. Uh, we we go to toe-to-toe almost every day. Um, it started in this past summer camp. Uh, we we kind of created a little thing where we have one-on-ones. And uh, I go into the slot. Uh, he's a safety, guarding me one-on-one. We just kind of keep in tally of wins and losses, uh, different things like that. Um, that that's awesome. Yeah, yeah it, it's cool going against guys like Brisker every day because you know you're going against literally the best safety in the country. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it's just making you better, uh, making him better, and making our team better. I want to ask the same question for another guy that has really risen to the occasion in a lot of games this season, Sean Clifford, the quarterback there at Penn State. How much do you guys hang out on and off the field, and how much do you guys work together to really improve both your games? Yeah, uh, we hang out a tremendous tremendous amount. Uh, I was literally just with him uh, right before this, about 10 minutes ago, literally just playing the video game with him, uh, playing UFC, uh, just hanging with each other, kicking it with each other. But uh, I've seen him grow a tremendous amount since I've been here. Uh, he's always been a great leader for us, a uh, very vocal leader, but his game has, has enhanced tremendously. Uh, you, you see the poise that he has uh, sitting in the pocket, delivering the ball to us. Uh, we create some pretty good weapons on the outside with me, Parker, Keandre, uh, some great tight ends, and he, he does a great job of making us look good. That's phenomenal. I want to look a little bit ahead to the rest of the season, ask a couple goals questions, and we'll get you out of here. I really appreciate the time. You guys have a juggernaut of a schedule coming up here. You're going to Maryland. Then you got Michigan coming in, a top 10 team in the country. Rutgers, which has been a a tough beat, a tough out every single game this season. And then you close out with, right now, the undefeated, Mel Tucker-led Michigan State. This four-game stretch is going to be special. How much have you guys talked about this upcoming stretch? And where's where's the mindset of the team, I guess, knowing that you have a very unique opportunity going down here? Yeah, uh, we we haven't really talked about much other than Maryland, to be honest with you. Fair. That, one week at a time. <laughs> yeah, one week at a time. But, um, yeah, we it, it's a tremendous opportunity for this football team and uh, a great opportunity for us to bounce back. Um, what what better way than going on the road, starting this four-game scale with a, with a win uh, in hostile territory. So I, I can't wait for this weekend, and I can't wait for the rest of the season. Uh, just competing with these guys every day at practice, it, it's fun. Uh, I literally have so much fun being out there with those guys every day. And I appreciate every moment that I'm out there. So uh, we're just going to try to go in Maryland, uh, try to get a W and get on the win streak. One week at a time. I, I couldn't tell you how many times I've heard on this show, go win and know every single week and you'll be there. I yeah. think that's honestly a cliche that everyone leans into. And I can't, I couldn't agree more. Uh, last yeah. one for you here. What, you know, it sounds like obviously you're going one and know every week, but are there personal goals or accomplishments you want to have, you know, uh, under your belt when this season's ending? And are those, what are those goals that are top of mind for you right now? Um, honestly, the only goal I set for myself is to be better than I was yesterday, uh, be better than I was a week ago, be better than I was a year ago. Uh, that, that's kind of something that I've lived by, uh, ever since I stepped on the football field. Uh, as long as I, I, I perfect my craft and I'd be better than I was, uh, 24 hours ago, uh, something's going to go well. And, uh, uh, to be honest, I haven't really set many personal goals, uh, kind of just been focused on our team. Um, just kind of getting back in the win streak, uh, being the best teammate possible to this team, 
and uh, being the best leader to these young guys in the room. Uh, we have a lot of talent on this team, and I, I honestly just love competing with these guys and can't wait to go out, practice with the guys, and play in these games. Nothing wrong with that, man. Being team forward is always great. Jahan, this was fantastic. Thanks again for joining the show, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. That's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Mike and I will be back on Wednesday morning. Jermaine Johnson, Florida State Edge Defender, is going to join the show. Should be quite the treat. Until next time, big shout-out to the producers, Mike Quinn, David Sofaro, Max Chadwick, Stone Rochelle, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Tailgate. Tailgate.